But the idea is that <clears throat> we do need to do business with evil in order to be a child of God. That is very true. And life becomes real when we do business with evil. And that involves sin. But following that, <clears throat> we need to do business with Christ. And not that they're mutually exclusive. One goes with the other. But the Christ-centric church is the church that identifies with Christ, that Christ is the center of our daily existence. As Christ was and is, so we desire to be. And that church evolves into a different kind of church from a church which is wholly centered around the solution for sin. Because there's a lot more to life after sin, isn't there? And in order to take full advantage of that, in order to be faithful to that, we need to be the Christ-centric church. So part of that also involves another message that he preached. And we have done a very good job in times past of converting sinners into saints. We've not always done such a very good job in making disciples out of those converted sinners. And part of our goal in life today <clears throat> is to really help us to become good disciples of Christ. The disciple of Christ is the one that wins souls. And so some ideas that he preached to us that have been helpful to me, and I hope we remember some of that as we think about Brother Chancellor, his good messages, and it's a good example. If you're able, let's stand, and um, I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 7 for just a couple of verses, and then I'll let you be seated. We have three passages in Romans that we're going to be dealing with today, and um, <clears throat> we're following along after we've talked about good and evil and a little bit about good and a little bit about evil. We're following along into how to work this out in our salvation, and that's part of what we're going to discuss today. And I'll read just a few of these verses, and, and then you can be seated. We'll read the rest. Uh, in the seventh chapter of Romans, beginning at the verse 14, the apostle said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do allow not, beg your pardon, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. Complicated way of saying, I just don't get it right, and I can't seem to not get it right. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now when it is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. So he recognizes I just can't seem to get it right, these moral choices that I'm supposed to make. I know the right, but invariably I end up doing what's wrong, and I recognize the, the presence of the law, that it convicts me of that, and I discover that it is sin dwelling in me, is what he said. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but to how to perform that which is good I find not. He, he says again, I know what to do, I just don't find myself able to do it. 
Lord, we pray that as we continue this study that you'll bless and help us and get that portion that you desire for us. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Let's finish this chapter. Go down to the end of it here. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, I do that I would not. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find a law then that I would do good, evil is present with me. We've been talking about good and evil. He says, in all of this discussion here, evil is present with me. It, it's part of the problem. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And I, I look at this try and translate this language into the way I think of today, right? There's a struggle going on in this man. He wants to do what's good. He finds it difficult to do it. He's trying to figure out why. And he comes to the conclusion that there is something in him that motivates him to do what's wrong. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, early in the history of the church, there was a debate over whether or not um, Gnosticism, that somehow our body was inherently evil and our spirit was inherently good. And... It caused a disagreement among people about what the doctrine was teaching or meant to teach, this idea that somehow the material world is evil, but something else is inherently good. But that's not what he's referring to. This is not, this doesn't launch us into Gnosticism. What he's saying is, in myself, I find two motives, a motive to obey God, to serve what's right, to do what's good. And I find another motive, which is to take me back into what I would not be, to, to go where I would not go, that other motive. And if we were just to leave it here, just to stop, we would say, not much victory in this kind of living, not a real hopeful way of living, not something I really want to aspire to, right? To live like this. So obviously he's setting up an argument that he wants to give us an answer for. Now, I like this because I, I've always appreciated the message that said, but there's a chapter eight that follows a chapter seven. Because the chapter seven experience is really the human experience before chapter eight and what the difference is, is God in heaven. So if you're interested in what chapter eight says, well then you'll have to wait just a bit. We'll get to that later. But that's the, the stage or the landscape of the argument is this portion of chapter seven. 
the struggle against sin and how the human finds themselves in this struggle. Now, ultimately, I'm going to read another passage in another part of Romans which talks about being conformed and being transformed. And so this message is, which form are you? Are we conformed to something, or are we transformed into something else? Now, a few weeks ago, we also brought a message on being transformed, didn't we? We talked about the little caterpillar and how that little bug eventually, and, 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 and his ugliness, Amen. And I'm just, every time I say that, I know that there's a, somebody out here that just loves cute little caterpillars. And I've just offended you by calling the caterpillar an ugly little bug. But he turns into a butterfly. And the beauty of that transformation, it's not a, con, a conformation, not conforming to something, but transforming into something else. That's also where we're headed this morning. Which form are we, conformed or transformed? Okay. We talked about in the last couple of messages about how God is teaching us something in Genesis about good and evil. And he told Adam and Eve, don't go eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you're going to release into the world something that you don't intend. You don't know where it's going. And that's precisely what they did. They disobeyed God. When they disobeyed God, and this comes from somebody, it's not my idea, but certain things happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed, and they still happen today. Because guess what? When we're little, before we know any better, and we're innocent, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me, right? And he said, they're angels. Their angels always behold the face of God. In other words, the, the, the children have a direct connection with God, which is special. Amen. And when we're like little children, we're innocent like Adam and Eve were in the garden. We don't know right from wrong. We don't have a sense of the consequences of our moral choices in that regard. And so little children are like Adam and Eve. And so we know a little bit about what the garden was like because we were all children. It's the same kind of place. And in that childlike place, I, I like this idea that someone brought, that we are aligned with his justice, the justice of God. In that innocent place that we are, we are aligned with his justice. That because there's no evil present that, that, that is, is, is resulted in sin for which we die, that God walks with us and we walk with God. Amen. And so we know something about that. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the justice of God. God was no longer able to stay present with them when they were cast from his presence. And therefore, his justice remained in the garden with God while Adam and Eve were cast out into this place of thorns and thistles and hard work and all of that stuff. And sin was released into the world. And I like to say sin is not just released into the world. It doesn't reside in rocks and trees and grass and dirt. 
sin ultimately is released into the world of humanity. Sin is not released into the world of animals. Sin isn't released into the world of humanity. That's where sin matters. And so evil is now present with humanity, whereas before we walked in the cool of the garden with the justice of God. But the good thing about this message is if you are here this morning and you find yourself also at times total alien from the justice of God, you just cannot get a hold of God. God still has a plan where he will walk with us again in the cool of the garden. Here, we can live like this. And his justice will be our partner and God will be, a, we are adopted into his family, amen. And so that's where we're headed this morning. We're gonna talk about the agony of this separation from, caused by sin and how it removes the justice of God from us. We live in a world today that wants justice and for good reason. And I would like to say the best way, amen, to bring justice into the world is to bring God into the world because ultimately God is the author of justice. And there's not a separate human justice or civil justice that should be separate from the eternal divine justice of God. If somebody wants true civil justice, you want divine justice. Because the only other way is that we make a mess of things. If people want justice but they don't want God in that conversation, you really are not going to get the justice that you seek. Right. Amen. It's exactly what Adam and Eve found. The first murder is committed by one of the children of Adam and Eve against the other sibling. As soon as they are evicted from the garden, justice is separated from them. Amen. And so the agony that he talks about here in chapter 7 of being unattached or detached from the justice of God. And not only that, detached from the community of Christ. Because if you read 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, what he'll talk about, the apostle will talk about is how to become reattached to the community of Christ. We live in a world today that can't, can't get there. And so the agony of remaining detached from the community of Christ. Second, that will lead us to this discussion of conforming and transforming. And third, that will lead us to the opportunity to regain the justice of God in our own lives today. So I, I love this message, it's a hopeful message. Paul here is describing in these verses here a kind of universal condition we can all relate to sometimes having felt like totally separate. Even now, a person comes to an altar of prayer. They want to serve God, but then they come to a place in life and life gets really hard and really difficult. And we feel like our prayers aren't being answered and we've lost that community with Christ. And, and, and we, we find ourselves, I wonder if once again I'm, the, I'm on the outside of the justice of God. That happens. 
but we're not meant to stay that way. There's hope for that condition. We feel this. When Adam and Eve, as, and I look at Adam and Eve as a type of humanity, I, 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 I don't disqualify Adam and Eve as two real people, but I see them as a type. They're clearly a type in the book of Hebrews, there's no question. So allow me to make them a type of humanity, Adam and Eve. When they, they release the knowledge of good and evil upon the world, they partake of the fruit of the tree. Because they did it in disobedience, they no longer have grace to manage that knowledge. That's why God said, don't do it, because you don't have the grace to manage this complicated moral system that you're going to release in the world by taking upon that knowledge. God says, only I can do that. Don't do it. And it still happens today when a, when a child gets to the age when now they understand right from wrong. There has been released into the world this management of moral choices, and we are not very good at it as human beings. We tend to get it wrong. Why? Because we tend to choose the evil instead of the good. That's a natural inclination. He's writing about it. We tend to choose the evil. The same way Adam and Eve, when they released this system of moral choices in the world, they didn't know how to manage it. And their first child commits murder against the other child. And it tends to go downhill after that. By the time of Noah, the heart of man was evil continually. And God said, I have no choice but to wipe almost everything clean and what I find interesting is it didn't quite get wiped clean because even after the flood Ham sinned against his father what was in that ark still had the seed of not being able to manage these moral choices human beings tend to be this way okay the agony of finding oneself separate from God if we could always manage these moral choices of good and evil the right way, well, then we would be like God. And we would, we would have the same kind of power that God has to make good decisions. Well, thank God, God still has a way of restoring our ability to make good moral choices. Amen. And that's ultimately what we're going to get to here. But this idea that Human beings just don't get this right. We want to do what's right. We tend to do what's wrong as human beings. And we ultimately, we fail one day to choose good, and we too are on the outside of the garden in that way. That's what he's talking about in the agony of being separate from God. And then this justice that God has about him, it disappears and we're in a world where there's no justice. And I'm talking about eternal justice. Don't let your mind go down to what you read in the newspapers. I'm talking about something bigger than that this morning. The justice of God that keeps us close to God, that he, he cares for us. We're separated from that. That's what he means when he says, this is walking after the flesh. So when you read walking after the flesh, 
It's the same as we are separated from the justice of God. Why? Because as human beings, we don't get it right. We don't make moral choices the way we're supposed to. We have a knowledge of good and evil, but we don't have the grace to choose the good. We tend to choose the evil as human beings. And so now I want to get to the solution for this. Romans chapter 12. Amen. We're, this is really an overview. You can take time to study this later and see if the Lord helps you with something else, but these are more overview thoughts in the first two verses. If we go from chapter 7, and I'm going to go back to chapter 8, <clears throat> he lays out the problem of making good decisions and good choices and choosing the good. He lays out the problem. And he, he describes in those intervening chapters what the difference is between walking after the flesh and walking after the spirit. That's what happens between chapter 7 and chapter 12. Now we get to chapter 12, and he says, now there's a therefore. Now there's a therefore. Therefore, therefore means I'm summing up everything that I just told you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, there's a way to walk after the flesh and a way to walk after the spirit. But guess what? He hasn't really told us how to change. He just said, this is what it is to walk after the flesh, and this is what it is to walk after the spirit. He's, just, he's set the difference between the two, but now he's saying how. This is the how. I now, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So the first thing in this how, how to walk after the Spirit, you have to want to walk after the Spirit. I like to think human beings, for the most part, can do anything they want to do. If you want to change, you'll change. If you don't really want to change, you really won't. Now, we're going to get to some reasons why even that is complicated. But in general, what we want to do is what we do. So God has some patience for complications in that. But for the most part, he says, look it. If you want to serve me, then serve me. Serve me. In other words, don't make excuses for why we can't do this. Jesus said the same thing. I just got married and I need to go home to see my wife, so I can't follow you. I bought a piece of land and I need to go inspect it, so I can't follow you. I have a team of oxen that I just bought and I need to go prove them so I can't follow you. And Jesus is saying, all these are excuses. If we want to follow Christ, amen, he'll make a way for us to follow Christ. That's chapter, that's verse one. Present your bodies. That's up to us. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I want to focus on verse two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
I really pay attention to this verse today. And I want to talk about conforming and transforming. Remember I asked you, which form are we? Are we a conforming or are we a transforming? Okay, let's look at that. Okay. Conforming to the world. Be not conformed to this world. Another way to say that is, don't be conformed to this present age. Don't be conformed to the time in which we live. That's what that word the world means. Don't be conformed to this present age. Don't be conformed to the time in which we live. I take that very seriously. I've taken that seriously for 40 years. Ever since God dealt with my heart, amen, and said, I need you to be transformed, that transforming part has been very important to me. And I got to the place where being conformed to this present age, it wasn't working. I was still finding myself in chapter 7 of Romans, wanting to do good but not doing it, not able to do it, something within me working against that motive until somehow God revealed to me, and I didn't even know this verse was here, that there's a difference between being conformed to this present age and being transformed in, in your mind. Being conformed to this present age, this time in which you live. The reason why we cannot continue to be conformed to this present age is because as human beings and as individuals, we do not know how to constantly choose the good and not the evil. And the spirit of the age in which we live, we have said, wants to masquerade as good when in fact it is evil. And therefore, as people, we're not clever enough, we don't have enough grace to choose that which is good and not that which has masquerading as good. One is evil and the other is good. When we are conformed, when we think like, when we accept, when we don't seek for something more, when we are conformed to the spirit of this age, that's what happens. We tend to walk after the flesh. So if we find ourselves walking after the flesh, and we'll, I'm going to end with a scripture someplace else on the flesh, we need to ask ourselves, Am I yet conformed to the world? Now, that doesn't mean that you love the world. It doesn't mean you want the world. It means your way of thinking is still conformed to this present age. I want you to understand that. I don't think Paul in chapter 7 was deliberately evil that his motive was deliberate. The reason why he was wretched is because he wanted to do what was good and he couldn't do it. So no, his motive was not, I'm an evil person and I hate God and I don't want what God has. That was not his motive. His motive was, I want to do good, but something always gets in the way. And so ultimately, he was conformed in that moment to this present world. That was his spirit. He was conformed, walking after the flesh in chapter 7. We don't know what to do with good and evil. We're not very good at it. 
to be conformed is to want to be like something that already exists. That's what it means to be conformed. It's to seek out a pattern of something that already is and want to be like that. In other words, I want to copy. I want to mimic what already is. That is being conformed. Do you know that we can be a religious person? We could even be a Christian person and be conformed to this world. We can be a person who loves God and wants to serve God and wants to go to heaven and wants to do what's right, but if we are mimicking, mimicking a pattern of men, if we are copying what we find in the world, we are not being transformed, we are being conformed. Let us think about it. You know what? It's natural to want to be part of something. Everybody wants to be part of something. Most of us don't want to be cast out and rejected and seen as strange, as seen as unusual, right? We want, in a certain sense, we want to conform. Conform means to be accepted by something. And in that regard, it's, it's human, it's natural. This is where it makes it complicated because we have this desire to conform, why? To be accepted. Ultimately, you know what this goes to? Ultimately, a lot of us, we're in our room one night and we say, you know what? God, where are you? I try so hard to find you and it seems like I just can't reach you, I can't touch you. I want to be parked. But then we wake up the next day and we face peer pressure and we face what happens at school and we face what happens at work and, and, and we want to be part of a, another community. We want to be conformed to another community. And we've got this thing going on. We do want to be part of God, but we also want to be accepted by others to be conformed. And that's, that's kind of a natural thing to be part of something. But God says, I want you to be transformed. Transformed. To be transformed is just the opposite. It's not that we want to be like something that is, but we want to be, we want to be changed into something that is not like that. We want to be, that's what transformed means. Uh, conformed is I want to be a copy of something that is. Transformed is I want to be something that it is not. But more than that, we'll get to a difference. Not just something that is not. I want to be made into something new. See? Now the caterpillar cannot be transformed into the butterfly if it wants to just be like other caterpillars. It has to be willing to be transformed into something else. So being transformed, I want to be made into something else. Now there's a, a part here that we need to stop at right now. In church, people can say being transformed is simply, I am not conformed to this present world. Now go back to the scripture in verse 2, and read it like this. Be not conformed to this world. 
that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, some people at church read the scripture this way. Let me read it again. Be not conformed to this world that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how some people read this scripture. That if I am not conformed to this world, then I must be acceptable to God and it must, I must reach that perfection that I seek. If, I, if I'm not like this world, then God must accept me. That's called being a hermit. That's what people do who want to live in caves. In a job I had once, um, we paid insurance claims and um, we insured a television studio and somebody had stolen the uh, camera that they take up on the helicopter to look at traffic or whatever. Traffic cam, I guess they call it. And I had to pay for the camera and I was talking to the, an executive in the television studio and he was telling me you know, about the six o'clock news that they had that night and I said, oh, I, I didn't see it. And he said, oh, you just missed it? I said, no, I don't have a television. And um, he, there was a pause and he said, what, do you live in a cave? <laughs> no, I just don't have a television. <laughs> There's a difference between not being conformed to something and being transformed into something else. Because the way I read the scripture to you is not the way the Lord wrote it. He said, I don't want you to be conformed to this world, but rather I want you to be transformed into something else. And that's the way that you'll prove the perfect will of God. Not simply by being what they are not. Anybody can be what they are not. That doesn't require God. What requires God is to be made into something that you otherwise could not be made into. See? And church can get it wrong. We can say all things good are those that are not like the world. But I also said we have a habit of choosing what masquerades as good because it's evil. Human beings have that habit. And so the only one that can really help us to choose good consistently is God. And in order to choose good consistently, you need to be transformed. There's no other way around it. It's easy not to just be like something. If the world, the world says go left, we go right. If they say do this, we do the other. And then we say the more I do that, every time the world says do something, I just do the opposite. I want to tell you something. That's a spirit that's in the age today. The world is so polarized today. Interesting that we don't often find three polarizations, do we? Three equal choices. Lately, today, it's either this or that. It's bipolarization today. Human beings just seem to either get, get stuck in this sort of bipolar world where it's this way or this way. 
I don't know, there's never a third way, there's not a fourth way, there's not a fifth way. We always do one or the other. And we, 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 tend to, we tend to migrate to one way or another. And if we're over here and they say that's right, then we say that must be wrong. And if we're over here and they say this is right, then that must be wrong. And we say, well, that will keep me safe because I'll just choose not to be like them. And God says, that is not the calculation. The calculation is not just not being like them. The calculation is be transformed into something new that I make you. You're going to think differently. Why? Because in the renewing of your mind, that's being transformed. Let God work on our mind. Now, at this point, I heard a preacher say, yeah, if you allow this to happen, what it does is it gives you grace, and then what will happen is you'll do good more than you do evil. On balance, you'll, you'll start heading toward what's good more than you'll continue to do evil. It's sort of like this um, get better plan where it allows you just to do good, better, more times. That's not why Jesus died. This is not a plan just to be a better person. It's a plan to be a different person according to the will of God. And then with the, the knowledge of good and evil that's been released into the world of people, we can now make decisions that God wants us to make because God has transformed us and has renewed our, has renewed our mind. And so the last thing that happens is in Romans chapter 8. We are transformed. We are not it's not that we are just not conformed, but we are transformed. In verse 1 in chapter 8, there's therefore now, after chapter 7, now there's no more condemnation. Not because we continue to walk after the flesh and he provides grace for that. That's, that, we're, we're, you're just back in chapter 7 if that's what we're thinking. We continue to walk in the flesh. He provides grace for it because we believe he's our Savior, and therefore, somehow, we're no longer wretched. Oh, no, that creates even greater wretchedness because I want to do good. I know what's good, and I find myself doing evil. That's a wretched thing. No. The reason there's no more wretchedness is because he frees us from this problem in chapter 7, and we walk after the Spirit. How do we walk after the Spirit? We're transformed. For the law of the Spirit of life of Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. If you are free, he says, you are free indeed. Not halfway, not a little way. We are free indeed if he makes us free. Amen. We're on his side again. And this is where I like to think that in chapter 8, we have the ability to once again be on God's side. If we're on God's side, we participate in his justice. He's there for us. He creates justice in our lives. Amen. And this is the solution, that we must be transformed 
that our mind must be renewed. Not simply we are not the world, but our mind is renewed, it is transformed, that's something different, so that we can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And I told you I was gonna finish by going to Galatians chapter five, and you can read this later. I wanna make reference to it. Because Galatians chapter five has a lot to say about walking in the spirit and the works of the flesh. In verse 16, these are the works of the flesh, the flesh lusts against the spirit, um, the works are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, now those are pretty serious, idolatry, now let me, let me show you, hatred, now look, variance, variance is, is taking sides, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions or divisions, heresies, if you translate those words into sometimes what we're affected by, we can relate. Sometimes the mind, amen, has to deal with stuff and these are the kinds of things that happen. Flesh comes out. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Now look at the, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And we say, oh yeah, sign me up for that. I want to do that. That's how I want to be. That's how I know I'm supposed to be. And we say, I ask God to change me. I ask God to renew my mind. I ask God to um, transform me. I ask God to dwell within me. And yet, I still find at times that I'm battling what this thing says are works of the flesh. Sometimes, I still find that. You know, we look at the example of Peter and when he was come to Antioch and he caused division among the brethren because he, he preferred the Jews over the Gentiles and Paul had to confront him, right? That's called variances. That's in the works of the flesh. But we like to say Peter had been changed, that God had renewed his spirit, that God had put a spirit within him. All right, well, but later we find an apostle who's dealing with the work of the flesh. And so we say, well, brother, what is it? Do we have victory or we don't? Look at chapter five in your own time. We don't have time right now to go into it. What chapter five is, is, is it is defining what's fleshly and what's spiritual. And it's telling us to walk in the spiritual and not the fleshly. But sometimes good people find themselves suffering from works of the flesh. Yes. Sometimes. I know that most of you would say amen if it didn't, if it didn't feel like you were being a traitor. Brother, I would like to say amen, but I know I'm not supposed to walk in the flesh, and so I don't want to be the one to say amen. Because then we'll pay people maybe think I'm fleshly and not spiritual. So I'll say it for you. Sometimes. 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 Doesn't mean we haven't been transformed. It just means sometimes, 
And so what God says is, look at the reason I put this here in chapter 5 is not to condemn you. I don't put this here so that you'll give up. And you'll say, well, then evidently I can't do this. I must not be part of that holy band because when they sing and praise, amen, I, it looks to me like they've all got it under control, but I must be something wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I'm morally defective. That's not why it's here. The reason it's here is to admonish us, don't walk like that. Walk like this. And if you find yourself walking like that, understand that that is not how we're meant to walk. What we're meant to do is to walk like this. And we still have an advocate. And it doesn't mean that we come to the advocate as a sinner. It means we come to the advocate as a human being. And we say, God, God, help me access the grace that you have already provided that evidently I'm having a very hard time taking hold of. And it's reflected in my behavior sometimes. And I don't want to be like that. I still want to be like that which is good. And the difference between that conversation and chapter 7 is I am claiming a transformation, not merely nonconformity. I'm claiming a transformation of my mind. And what, what has happened? Lord, I'm willing to not be conformed to this present age, but at the same time, I, I, I want to fly. I want to fly. I don't want to crawl on the stick and eat the leaves. I want to fly. That's the difference between what's happening now in chapter 7. Nor does it give us license to behave in a carnal way or a fleshly way. It doesn't give us license to do that. It simply reflects that we're human beings, and sometimes human beings are subject to these temptations, subject to these ways of being. And thank God he still gives us grace to overcome the flesh. Amen. Amen. Now, we happen to be mother, father, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, relative, neighbor, other human, and we have an association with such a person, and we see such behavior, what should be our response? By the way, we never have these problems ourselves. <laughs> that makes us, that gives us the right to be judge. What should be our response? There, but for the grace of God, go I. And one day, in my foolishness, I was the caterpillar. One day in my foolishness, I was the one in chapter 7. I walked after the flesh. And one day, I was the one who crucified the Savior. In one day. One day in times past, I was the one who was carnal and fleshly and had even no desire to have my mind changed. One day, that was me. And so I remember that. And when I see the other at times struggling with this, I say, I, say, I, I too have been there. 
and tomorrow I may be there again. So I will pray for you. I will pray for you. I will pray for you. I, I, I will support you. I will support you. Amen. Amen. God can give us grace to walk in the Spirit. Which form are we? Are we really non-conformed to this present age, or have we been transformed into something new? Because I still believe it's God's desire that we should be transformed into something new. And we will not merely be against something else. Amen. Psalm 139 in the last verses, God show me. God show me. God teach me. God reveal to me if there be any wicked way in me. Right? That, that why? That I might be transformed. That it might change my mind. It might change the way I think. That now I might be conformed to heaven and to be like heaven. God help us. And if we find ourselves in chapter 7 of Romans, um, we can still pray. Say, Lord, I, I, I want what he was talking about. I, I would like to be transformed. We can still do that. We can pray. But whatever you want is what you're going to get. Let's stand.